The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. Everyone wants to find a new way to engage. Okay, so what? What happens if it's 40,000 or, or if it's 60K? What's the major difference there? And the only answer is, well, you know, our brand and brand awareness, but actually they don't get a lot out of it if, it's just, if it just stays that way. That's your own Talpaz, the president of strategic partnerships with Pico Get Personal. The goal is for the teams to get to know you just a little bit better. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Your own background is in management at the highest levels of the Israeli basketball world. So he comes at it from the perspective of both the tech space and the team initiative. And we'll get to him in a bit. And off the Australian Open, you may not have noticed all the new tennis rackets in play, but that may not be the point. But first, the future is now as pitchers and catchers, and we think umpires, get set for spring training. Well, it's been a really interesting winter so far for the sport of baseball, and it's going to get to become a very interesting spring as well. The robots are coming to spring training. Jacob Bogage from the Washington Post joins us now. Hey, Jacob, how are you? Hey, Bram, I'm great. Good to be with you. So they started experimenting with robots calling balls and strikes in the minor leagues last summer, and now it's coming to spring training. What's that going to look like? So you're not actually going to see the system in action in spring training. We're, they're going to run this thing in the background of spring training games so they can work out the kinks and the development bugs. Uh, but you will see it in these ballparks in the Florida State League, uh, which is an A-advanced league. It's a pretty high-level of play, but it's been kind of the guinea pig for MLB with a lot of rule changes. Uh, and they're going to have it in live play there. And, of course, it'll still be in the Atlantic League, which is the independent league where it debuted last, uh, last summer. Uh, and then it will come back next fall in the Arizona State League. It was there in the fall of 2019 as well. So what do they want to accomplish here in the short term? In the short term, they're trying to fast-track the system to get it to big league games. I have a source tell me you should expect this in big league stadiums calling balls and strikes maybe within the next three years. Uh, and what the system looks like is uh, – the home plate umpire will have an iPhone strapped to his belt or in his pocket and will wear like an, an earpiece. Literally, when I saw it, it was an Apple AirPod that connected to the phone via Bluetooth. And uh, the software and hardware in the stadium will communicate to the phone, which will tell the umpire, ball or strike. And they'll get up and announce the call just like they would any normal baseball game. So you're still going to hear the big strike call. Uh, you know, that's not going to change, but instead of the umpire calling the balls and strikes himself, 
It'll be done by a computer that can track the pitch on the way to home plate. So was that a make good with the umpires union? What would be the point of having the human standing there calling that at that moment? Well, there's a lot of action that goes on at home plate that you still need a home plate umpire for. You've got a foul tips, um, check swing. Uh, is a ball in, you know, fair down the line or foul down the line? Um, plays at the plate. You still need a home plate umpire. Um, and I think it, it may have been a bridge too far to say, we'll just, you know, we'll beep one light for strike and another light for ball. I think that would have really um, soured a lot of fans on the game, and I think it would have been a holy war with the umpires' union. Uh, this was a, a kind of an in-between measure, but at the same time, uh, the umpires held this bit of leverage, which is you still need somebody at home plate. You still need somebody at the most important base. What is the reaction around baseball? Clearly, the ball's rolling downhill, and it's going to happen. Um, what's the reaction so far about how they feel about the implementation of this? I think you said it best. The ball is rolling downhill. I think everybody knows this is going to happen. So you either get out of the way or get on board. Um, when the Atlantic League started with the, uh, the so-called robo-umps last year, and there were a number of other proposals that the Atlantic League did to kind of tweak the rules a bit, um, major league players, and especially pitchers, said absolutely no way. I will not play by these rules. I will not play with a robo-ump. You know, like, this is ridiculous. My job is hard enough as it is. I, I'm not going to, you know, this isn't for me. And then the Atlantic League had a tremendous success. Um, you know, you stopped hearing coaches chirping from the dugout. You, you know, bat, the game moved faster because batters didn't step out of the box and go, are you serious? Was that a, you know, you called that a strike? Um the tempo of the game, the pace of the game, was a was just smoother, um, and it's hard to debate the accuracy with a computer. And so, after what we saw in the World Series, which was officiated very well, but there were a couple balls or strikes called in key moments that everybody kind of jumped off their couch when they saw. You kind of realized that this was going to become a priority for Rob Manfred, and, and sure enough, right around Christmas time. They cut a deal with the umpires in a new, you know in a new collective bargaining agreement that basically said to the umpires, if you don't want to, we're going to pay you more and let you retire earlier and give you better retirement benefits. Hmm. So if you're somebody who's been around the game forever and cannot see yourself working under these circumstances, you can retire and we'll take somebody else. So they basically paid the umpires who don't want to do it to go away. It's complicated, but it'll get figured out, and it's going to happen. Jacob Bogage from the Washington Post, thanks. Thanks very much. Up next, Yaron Talpaz from Pico Get Personal on the ways teams and leagues are finding more and more about you. This is the Future Sport Podcast.
Our guest this week is Yaron Talpez, who's the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships with Pico Get Personal, which is a fan engagement platform that he'll tell us all about, all the way from Tel Aviv, Israel. Hey, Yaron, how are you? Hi, Bram. Uh, thanks for having me. All good here. Uh, why don't we start with what Pico is? What do you guys do? So Pico is a platform that helps uh, sports teams and, and, and brands, media brands, know their online fans. What's happening in, in the world today is that engagement, especially for Tier 1 and even Tier 2 sports organizations, is not the problem. They, they have uh, crazy fans, passionate. They engage with everything that they do over digital and especially social. But they don't know who they are. You could get thousands of likes to a post, but you don't know who the people that are actually doing that and how to retarget them. So to make it short, we help you know them and then target them to the benefit of both the fans and the team. So you're finding them where? Through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever? So basically wherever the teams are, are having their social channels. So yeah, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. The, the whole idea is that we create these fan experiences through gamification that the call to action could be from any of these channels, and then that creates a conversation that could be on their app, website, or again, any of these social channels uh, through the DM uh, options there. And that way, the fan now is in the team's database, and it's all sort of consensual, and we will ask questions that make sense to the fans, so it's not just fill up this form to participate or enter to win, and then you have to give in all of your details, and usually you don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, it, it's so interesting that, you know, these teams, the fans have kind of always been there, and you would think that the teams kind of already know who they are, and maybe in some cases of the P1 heavy fans, they do, um, the ones that are interacting so often with the teams. But but what you're suggesting and what we're learning through a lot of these technologies is they didn't really know who these people were. They just knew they were out yeah. there, right? Exactly. And, and, and you, you do have some data analysis companies that will come in and sort of cluster things and say, okay, most of your fan base is from this age group, which is, which is true. And then you should target, you know, do this or do that, do this sort of, uh, uh, let's say, Metallica special uh, Tuesday night uh, in, in the Miami Heat arena for a game because your demographic that day is going to be actually from the older side. So that's, you know, that's one thing. But what we're saying is know the actual real people that are uh, engaging with you through your digital posts. And sometimes uh, you'll just have a great post and you'll have 50,000 people re interacting with it. And then I would ask the digital uh, person on, on that team, okay, so what? What happens if it's 40,000 or, or if it's 60K? What's the major difference there? And the only answer is, well, you know, our brand and brand awareness, but actually they don't get a lot out of it if, it's just, if it just stays that way. So what differentiates what you guys are doing from others that are out there in the marketplace? What we do is we provide this. It's a SaaS platform, uh, and it's a 360 solution because we don't ask anyone to download an app. So if you're going – so this could happen when you're going to a game, and you'll see it on the Jumbotron, let's say the Clippers – we actually work with. So they have on the Jumbotron a call to action 
play our memory game, you know, spawn presented by whoever it is. Um, and people then pull out their mobile phones and play this game. They just send, they don't need to download at that point an app, which is very difficult uh, to ask from fans attending a, a game. But if it's just a simple, hey, just click, go to our app and click, or just type in one word and send it to our uh, Facebook page over Messenger, then these are easy call to action. Mm. So that one difference is that we, you don't need to download an app. And the other is that we do this through any channel that the team has already invested in. Um, are you guys, are the team surprised by who the fans are, what the demographics are? Has there been some surprises in that, in that side? No, I think they're just happy to add to their CRM. And, and that, that's the most important thing. Some, some of these teams, and, and we work with major teams all over in Europe, like, like Borussia Dortmund, and they have like more than 30 million followers across the world. Um, but actually in their CRM, the numbers are not high enough for, for these, you know, just the ratio is not high enough for, for such a team that has so many fans around uh, the, the world. So that's why they're so happy to all of a sudden tap into this social world that has generated so much traffic and make that their own. You have an interesting background. Most of the people we talk to are in the tech space and have come from the tech space. And in some cases with recovery or training techniques, they have a background of being in athletics. But your background is partially in with sports teams and with Israeli TV. Um, how has that kind of shaped your thought process through this? Yeah, it helped very much because uh, uh, working for Maccabi Tel Basketball Club, um, as their CMO, so I know exactly what the team needs are. And, and I think that's sort of why Pico approached me, and that's how I got to know Pico, because Maccabi, when I was there, we, we wanted to use their services, and until today, uh, Maccabi is, is one of uh, Pico's partners. Um, and then Pico approached me because they wanted the perspective of teams, because it's for anyone out there listening, and, and, the, the, and, and it, whether you're startups, it's just a different animal dealing with teams because you'll have uh, all these different departments. You need to understand how it goes. Teams are, they have the, the professional side and then they have the business side. And maybe in the U.S. it's well known and that divide is clear. But also in many cases, even in the U.S., you'll have different approaches. And some teams are just going to be, they could be very big teams, but very budget constrained. And they, they won't have a lot of knowledge about these things. So, so I think that's the perspective of, of that I can bring to the table from my Maccabi experience, but also from the sports channel in Israel, sort of like the ESPN of Israel, just knowing what fans uh, like and, and, and as viewers and as sports fans, what makes sense to, to not uh, overload them with uh, things that will create drop-off and requests that will create a major drop-off. Um, are, are you guys working with television channels too, or are you just strictly working with, with teams at this point? So I would say that uh, the main emphasis has been sports teams, but we just recently started working with the Israeli uh, sports channel. We also worked a little bit with uh, Telemundo over in the States. Um, so I think that's uh, a vertical that we're going to start to tap into because when you think about it, uh, especially linear TV has the same issue where – They'll, they'll have they, they could have millions of viewers, but they don't know who they are uh, really, uh, and and they're following them through digital and obviously watching their TV programs, 
but they don't know how to retarget them. Yeah. So I think it makes a lot of sense to and the audiences, and try that as well. Yeah, and the audiences are moving very quickly with all of the different options and the way that they are consuming content these days. It would seem that something like what you guys are doing would be very valuable to a group like that. Exactly. Um, all right, I want to ask you this because like, we've talked to a lot of people through this podcast in Israel. And it just feels like there is just a massive boom in sports technology in the state of Israel. Do you, do you have any any idea why that is happening there? Oh, for sure. Yeah, great question. So, so I'm going to say two things. One, first of all, I think Israel is known around the world as a, sort of the startup nation. And I think that, that, that there's been books written about this. But I think a lot of it is, comes from the army it's mandatory here and then in the army there's a lot of intelligence and many people go through computer programs uh me personally i went through one so lots of people coming out of the army with lots of experience and then you know sort of the high-tech industry um and then on on the sports side i think what what's happening is that we're not a great sports nation in terms of you know our teams like maccabi tel aviv that i mentioned is probably the only one that has succeeded on a on an international level in one of the major sports. Um, and actually not having a, a big sports market here, I think what happens, uh, even for, for someone like me, if I want to work in sports, I don't have too many options here uh, where, where, where it's big teams that I can work for. So I still want to work in sports, so I'm going to move into the sports stick. So I think you have lots of sports fanatics, that don't find jobs like you would maybe in the U.S. where you have all these at least five, six major tier one leagues and then all the college sports. You have so many jobs there. And I'm sure there are more people that are applying for these jobs. But still, you have lots of places and, and uh, options to work. And here in Israel, maybe there are 10 positions in top teams that you can uh, count. Uh, and then it just uh, limits your uh, opportunities so i think it creates this wave where many people just go into the sports sector it's really interesting that there's such a fanaticism for sports there because to your point there hasn't been a tremendous amount of success internationally there's not many teams that are competing even in leagues internationally and yet here they are all these people that are still really interested in i I assume soccer i assume the american sports teams am i off on who where the where the actual um, where the interests are? Yeah, so so the two major sports here in Israel are, are soccer and basketball. Um, and basketball, it will go through the Euro League, but NBA is really up there. And NBA obviously has been very successful across, you know, all over the world. And in the past 10 years, we had a player, Omri Kaspi, and next year we're going to almost you know almost 100 percent sure that denny avdia from akabi is going to pick and is, is projected to be a lottery pick in the upcoming draft so we're going to have another one but we, we israel uh, because we're not that successful we're more open to being fans of global sports so what what happens here is, is people watch you know english premier league or nba nfl basketball all over and they dream of doing stuff with these teams mm. so they're, they're thinking of these ideas. They learn about it. Obviously, the, the Internet in the past 20 years has really helped make everything smaller and more accessible. So people see uh, these teams operate, uh, can even read about their problems and needs, 
and they start solving it because they dream of working for them just to go to meet these clubs, you know, across Europe or the States is almost a dream come true. And then if they're able to solve uh, problems for them, it's even better. Yoro Talpez is the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships with Pico Get Personal. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again for having me. It was a pleasure. Up next, the design and performance of the modern tennis racket has accelerated. Tim Newcomb from Popular Mechanics joins us. This is the Future Sport Podcast. So let's take a minute here to thank our friends at 3Advance. These guys are ranked one of the nation's top app developers, but that's not all. They've helped grow a bunch of sports tech startups like Team Builder, T-Box Tour, and In-Game Fantasy. But they're also experts in user experience, cloud APIs, and artificial intelligence. So if you're looking for a dev partner to bring your future sport tech to life, look these guys up. Go to 3advance.com. They're the team to make it happen. At Advance, you will. That's the number 3advance.com. And tell them Future Sport sent you. There have not been a lot of innovation in the world of tennis, unless you look at their replay systems and go, that could be implemented in other places. But there are things happening that you may not notice, including what the players are using these days. The tennis racket, the technology is far more superior than you think. Tim Newcomb is following that for Popular Mechanics. Hey, Tim, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. You know, I think we all see the racket. We don't think there's much that's different about it. What is different about it? Well, the things that are different about it, the common person doesn't normally understand unless you have an engineering degree. There's a lot of different geometries and just even material technologies that are going into creating different flex and stability and and stiffness within these rackets to give players exactly what they need on the court. So what are the players looking for? As you kind of um, researched all of this, what are they saying back to these companies that they want in terms of performance out of the racket? Well, it's like with any sporting equipment that you have, whether it be uh, cushioning in your, in your shoes or, or a tennis racket, you want the best of both worlds. And for tennis, that means you want to be able to have feel and control, but you also want to be able to have power. And now that, that might be a little bit different if you're a top-level athlete playing in the Australian Open or if you're you and I playing a little bit more recreationally the top-level players can create their own power pretty easily, but at the same time, they want to be able to have that control, that stability, and still have that power created for them a little bit. Have the materials changed substantively over the last few years? Well, we're seeing, we're seeing some new materials. Yonex, a, a Japanese brand, Osaka, Curios Play, that racket, have come out with a new graphite. We're seeing carbon fiber used in different ways and different types of carbon fiber are being used to, to give different properties to the rackets. And even if you're familiar with the Adidas Boost shoe, that, that Boost technology you know, was not created by Adidas, obviously. That's being used in Dunlop rackets to, to create some, some different properties within there, too. So we're definitely seeing new materials, different takes on materials, 
and different ways that we're even using those materials. As it's manifesting now, what's the difference for us when we watch high-level athletes? Is it Are they more powerful? Do they have more access to spin technologies when they use them? What, what is the benefit to them at this point? All of the above, plus control. So they have the ability to access power. They're able to utilize their spin. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into the tennis strings as well, and some of that's changing the racket layups. And then they have control while they do it. So you, you can't really understand how crazy hard and precise these shots are when you're watching on TV. If you were to see this live, it, it does take it to another level. But the rackets these players are using just simply complement their, their extreme skill that they already have and are just pushing you know, ball speeds and, and angles to, to new levels. And I'll leave you with this because just here we are in this era of technology and people are wondering what is too far in certain sports. As tennis looks at this and watches these changes, um, are, do they have any level of concern that there will be competitive imbalance through the use of modern rackets? You know, they've, it's been a discussion for, I mean, for years. We've gone away from the wooden rackets of decades ago to aluminum and, and different materials we've gone through those there's always been the discussion but for the most part there hasn't been much of a slowdown on the technology side it's it's been a progression so for something to change it would be have to be a radical shift at this point tim newcomb is following all this for popular mechanics thank you so much tim thanks friend that will do it for us this week as always the future is now this is the future sport podcast I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.